have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be reading verse 6 as a scripture you probably all know, um, and, uh, but it's a good one. Amen. I, all the scriptures are good, I guess I should say. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. There's a lot we could say. You could teach. You could teach several series probably on just this one scripture. But I want to bring our attention to the very uh, last stanza of the scripture that says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's more than just head knowledge, knowing who He is. Uh, of course, you've you got to have faith in who He is. You got to know who He is. Uh, if you don't understand that He is your healer, you will never ask Him to heal you. If you do not. Know Know that he is your savior, you will never ask him to save your soul. But even more than head knowledge, there is an action that we have, a place in the kingdom of God that we have uh, our duty to fulfill, and that is we've got to diligently seek after him. And when we diligently seek after him, he will reward us. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Um, I'm going to give you my title in just a second, but before I do, um, I'm going to give you like a, I don't know, the intro to the intro or whatever it's called. Amen. But I, I want to, as, as we, uh, before I give you my title to uh, say that we often talk about the will of God and I want us to all uh, know and understand that the will of God should be and it must be the most important thing that you have in your life. You've got to pursue after it. You've got to do everything you can to be in God's will. Um, first of all, it's God's will that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible tells us that it is His will, God's will, that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Uh, King David um, uh, even prayed to God, God, teach me your will. And Jesus instructed his disciples when they were to pray, that they would pray that God's will would be done in earth as God's will is done in heaven. And Jesus Christ, even himself, who even though he was God manifested in the flesh, the man Christ Jesus was still subject to the will of God. And that's why the man or the humanity of Jesus Christ uh, could cry out, not my will, but thy will be done. And so as before I give you my, before I give you my title, I want us to all to understand that the will of God is the most vital aspect of our pursuit in the kingdom of God. We've got to preach, we've got to believe, we've got to pursue after God's will. But I am not preaching to you about the will of God, okay? I, know I just kind of ruined that there, but I'm not. But I'm going to be preaching to you us about your will, and uh, you'll understand in just a little bit, but my title today is My Will is Important. Okay, we talk about God's will all the time, but I'm going to talk, we're going to preach, we're going to talk about our own will and how our own will is important in the kingdom of God. So my will is important. There is a, a scientific uh, term that maybe you have heard uh, today, and I, I'm sorry for our translator here, amen, but in the English it is called mind over matter, but it is simply the belief that the mind is more powerful than the physical body. And as, as all things that God has 
instituted or created in this world, we fully cannot comprehend or be able to really figure out everything about it. Um, gravity as an example. Uh, really, we know what it is, but how do you explain it? How, we, our, our, our own intellect probably falls way shorter than what actually happens through the laws of, of, of nature. And one, one thing that has baffled the scientific world for years, uh, decades, is mind over matter. Because mind over matter simply means that your mind, your will, your brain is more powerful than your physical body. That through the power of your mind, you are able to do things to overcome situations, to be able to survive in different uh, ways of life or whatever it may be. Um, uh, you, you can through the process of your own willpower. Uh, I remember reading many, many years ago a story of a young mother who was in an automobile accident and her car flipped over onto its side. And in the back seat was her baby who was strapped in, her, in, in the uh, car seat and uh, she was not able to reach the baby from where she was. And so she was able to, the, the mother was able to crawl out of the car through, I believe it was through the windshield, and she was able to get out. And she did not know what was going to happen to her vehicle. She didn't know if it was going to burst into flames or what could happen. All she knew is that her child was stuck and that she needed to save her child. And so this was just a normal mother, just a normal woman. But the, her, her desire to see her child survive was so great that she went over to the edge of the car and was actually able to set it back up on all four wheels and be able to get through the back seat and save her own child. Afterwards, of course, I mean, they wrote an article about it. It was so unusual that something like this could happen. And all they could say is, well, even though physically it should have been impossible, she was able to do this through the power of her own will. That she was able to save her own child all because that was the only thing that mattered to her. That that was the most important thing to her. So they said it's mind over matter. The mind is more powerful than the physical body. But there are other stories you could read about uh, people who um, uh, were able to. I, I saw someone else, another article of someone who was dying or or was in hypothermic conditions in ice, ice cold waters, and they should have gone into hypothermia and died. But yet their willpower to survive, their their desire to survive, uh, something, and they can't explain it, but they were able to warm up their own bodies and overcome that freezing cold temperature. But the truth is, even though this is strange and we really don't fully understand it, this is not anything that is new. Because if you go into your Bibles, into Mark chapter 5, you read a story of a man who defied all odds, defied all expectations through the power of his own will. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus gets in a boat and he leaves one side of the Sea of Galilee and he goes to the other side and he steps out of a boat onto the seashore of the Gadareans. And there when Jesus stepped out of a boat, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 2, it tells us that immediately there met him, speaking of Jesus, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. 
Now this is interesting because when we look at this story, by the end of it, we know that he had over 2,000 devils that possessed him. We know that the community tried everything they could to help this man and to contain him and to control him. The Bible tells us that they would bind him with chains and with fetters. But his, his oppression from the demonic spirits was so great and so powerful that he would simply break out of the chains and escape. They would try to put clothes on him, but he would simply tear off the clothes. They would do everything they could to try to help this man be somewhat normal. But everything that they did was for naught because the devils that were inside of him controlled every aspect of his life. So he spent his days living in the tombs, in the cemetery, completely naked, cutting himself, making himself bleed, and really terrorizing the community. But something powerful happens in Mark chapter 5. Jesus steps out of the, of the boat onto the seashore of the Gadareans, and this man immediately sees Jesus from afar off, runs to Jesus, falls on his face, and begins to worship him. Now why is this important? It's important for many, there's many important things in this scripture, in this story. But what I'm preaching to us here about today in the power of our own will is that I, I guarantee you today that those 2,000 devils, the last place they ever wanted to be were at, was at the feet of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that if they had their choice, they would have ran in the opposite direction. But here was a man who his whole entire life was controlled by over 2,000 devils. But the moment he saw Jesus, he recognized that the deliverer was in his community. The deliverer was right in front of him. And it didn't matter what he was bound by. He was going to get to the feet of Jesus. He was going to worship him. And the devils that controlled everything in his life were now powerless because this man recognized that the very answer that he had been longing for his whole life had just stepped into his life. So he runs to Jesus, falls on his face, begins to worship him. Jesus asks him a strange question. He asks him, what's your name? And you probably know the answer. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think I am. I don't think that this was the name that his mother gave him. No, it's probably David, or Jonathan, or Mark, or Methuselah. Just a normal Bible name. But yet when Jesus asked him who he was, he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Do you realize, amen, that when you begin to deal in the things of this world and you allow Satan to take root in your life, amen, it will eat you up into the point where it'll change your identity. Amen, you might not understand what I'm saying, but I'm sure each and every one of us in this room knows somebody. You might not know their name, but you know the addiction that binds them. Oh, that's the drunk. Oh, that's the drug addict. Oh, that's the prostitute. Oh, that's the, 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 the convict. Oh, that's the person who's immoral. And that's the person who does this sin. And this is the person who, who, who doesn't live for God. You become identified by the thing that controls you. Amen. But I believe here today, amen, that we need to be people who are controlled by Jesus Christ, who are changed by him. 
amen, if you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, the oldest passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You have a change of identity in your life. What you were bound by before is no longer. And now you are a child of God. Your identity changes when you get in the presence of Jesus. He never leaves you the same. And here was a man who was identified by the 2,000 devils that lived inside of him, but they were powerless when he made up in his mind that he was going to get to the feet of Jesus. Why am I preaching this? I am preaching this because your will is important. I don't care if you have 2,000 devils inside of you or you just have a hangnail. Amen. Nothing will keep you from the presence of God if you make up in your mind, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to pursue after him. Circumstances might say it's impossible. But your own will is important in the kingdom of God. Our God is a gentleman. He will never force himself upon you. But when you surrender and say, God, I need you more than anything. I need to find you. I just need to touch the hem of your garment. I need to be in your presence. You will find him because he will reward you if you diligently Seek after him. Amen. Our flesh can make excuses for anything. Amen. I've, I've done it myself. I'm not perfect. There was Jesus was perfect and my wife is a close second. Amen. That just bought me a couple more days to live right there. Amen. No one's perfect. I've made excuses in my life, amen, but I've never had 2,000 devils in me. <laughs> that, what is our excuse? Amen, to pursue after the mercy and the deliverance power of Jesus Christ. I mean, we have no excuse here today, amen, to live for him. We have no excuse to surrender to him. We have no excuse why we can't dedicate everything we have to our pursuit of God. And seek after him. So that moment that man felt at the feet of Jesus. You really don't hear anything about the devils controlling him anymore. But all you do hear is about Jesus controlling the devils. Amen. That when we really get past all of our insecurities. We get really past the things that bind us here on earth. And we give them to Jesus. They're no longer our problem. But he takes care of them. Amen. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. Bring your burdens to him. He'll take those away. He'll give you a new burden. It will be a burden, but it'll be light. And nothing more than you can't handle yourself through his power. Your will's important. I can, I can in, my, my, in my imagination, see Jacob. Jacob had been away from his father's house for many years. And uh, when he left his father, Isaac, and his mother, Rebekah, the last conversation he really had in the home was his twin brother Esau said, I'm going to kill you because you've taken my, bless, my birthright and now you have stolen my blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. So Jacob flees to his future father-in-law's home, not the place I would have chose. Amen. I just lost those couple days. <laughs> I just gained. Amen. But he goes to his uncle Laban's house, his future father-in-law. There he finds his wife, 
her sister <laughs> in the concubines, and he builds up his family. And all of a sudden, after many, many years, he decides, you know what, I need to go back home. I need to go to my father's house, the land that was ultimately promised to me. Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac's seed, and now Jacob was the error. Not the error, the error. Amen. And so there he goes back, and as he's riding his camel through the wilderness, he remembers, huh, you know what? The last time I was at home, my brother said he was going to kill me. That's kind of scary. Maybe I should send a servant to go see what's going on with my twin. So he sends a servant out to his brother, letting him know that he was coming home. And the servant comes back, and there he goes, guess what, Jacob? Your brother Esau, he is coming to see you. Isn't that exciting? Wait, there's more. He's bringing an army of over 400 men with him. Jacob, all he could think of is, wow, my brother, he's held a grudge a long time. And he's coming to kill me. So he divides his family into two and he goes and begins to seek after God and pray. And something amazing happens that night. Jacob starts to pray, begins to seek after God. And God appears to Jacob in the form of a man. There he is, God standing in front of him. Now, a couple things about this story is very strange. The first one is if God appeared to me, I don't, I hope that my first reaction would not be, hey, let's wrestle. You know? It's kind of strange. That wouldn't be my first option. But that's what, exactly what he did. He be, grabbed a hold of God, and he began to wrestle with God. Now, that's the first thing that, that's strange. The second part is, if ever there was a wrestling match that wouldn't be fair... It would be a man wrestling against the almighty, the all-powerful creator of the universe, God Almighty himself. It shouldn't have been very hard for God to defeat Jacob that night. But yet Jacob grabbed a hold of God and he began to wrestle with him. Now, I don't know what he saw that night. Maybe, maybe as he was wrestling with God, he saw the dust from Esau's army off in the distance, or maybe he wrestled with them all night, the Bible said. And so maybe he was wrestling with, with, with the angel of the Lord, or, the, or uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, wrestling with God, and maybe he saw the fires from the enemy's camp popping up off in the horizon. But something powerful happened to Jacob that night, and you probably already know why. Because that man said, I am not going to let you go until... You bless me. That was his will. That was his desire that night. That he knew that maybe death was coming in the morning. He knew that the destruction of his family could take place the next day. But in that moment, he knew that the God who created him, the God who had blessed him, the God who had called him, the God who had promised him, amen, to his parents, amen, was right there in front of them. And in that moment, he made up in his very own mind, no matter what happens tomorrow, right now, I am not going to let God go until he blesses me. 
God touched the hollow of his thigh and his, his thigh went out of joint. I'm sure it was very painful, but he would not let God go. In church, this is your will and why your will is important because there are times we need to get something from God. Do not let him go. Don't give up. But determine in yourself, I am not going to let God go. No matter what it takes. No matter what comes in the morning. No matter what the enemy says. God, I will not let you go. You realize that God stopped wrestling with Jacob. And he says, what is your name? He says, I'm Jacob. He said, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. Why? Because you have prevailed. You have won a wrestling match with God. How could Jacob win that wrestling match? It was his will. God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And because of that, Victory came into his life. He was changed. He became, he was a deceiver and a supplanter, but God changed him to a prince. Amen. Changed his name, made him somebody different, all because he would not let God go until he blesses him. Amen. I believe there are sometimes we stop too early. And then sometimes we just give up because it's inconvenient or it's because we got things to do in the morning or we think that the enemy's going to seek and find us and, and kill us in, the, in whatever it may be and destroy our life. Amen. But what I'm preaching to you here today is your will is important because when you make up in your mind, you're going to live for him. When you make up your mind, you're going to serve him. When you make up in your mind, you're going to do his will. You will accomplish it no matter what mountain is in front of you. You can look at that mountain and say, be thou removed. Your will's important. My will is important. Just give me about five more minutes and I'll be done. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8. And in verse 35, he asks uh, the church a question. It's the same question he's asking us here tonight. He says, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? That is an important question that each and every one of us should ask ourselves. Who, or you can say what. What is there? Is there anything in your life that will ever separate you from the love of Christ? Paul, being a tremendous teacher and scholar, he helps us out by giving us some potential answers. So we don't have to think of it ourselves. So he begins to list, if you could put this up on the screen, that will help. A Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. He begins to give a list of things that could potentially keep you from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? These are all things that could keep you from the love of Christ. Are you going to allow these things, Paul is telling the Romans. These are things that could keep you from living from him. These are things that could come up in your life. There are obstacles and we will. The Bible even tells us in our lifetime we will face tribulation. We're going to go through hard times. Amen. This walk with God is not a bed of roses. Amen. But there are going to be difficulties. There's going to be mountains we're going to have to climb. There's going to be times where we're begging for food. There's times where famine's going to come into our life. There's going to be times where war is going to arise. Rise up. Are we going to allow these things to separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say, as it is written, 
For uh, thy sake, Jesus, for your sake, God, we are killed all the day long and we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. He tells the church in Rome, guess what? Because of your relationship with God, because you love Jesus Christ, because you serve him, you're basically like sheep that are walking to the stockyards to be slaughtered, to become a martyr. You're going to be just like Stephen. Maybe that's who he was thinking about when he wrote this, who was stoned right there in front of Saul of Tarsus because of his relationship with God. And he says, we're just, because of our commitment to him, we're basically getting killed every day and we're like sheep that are just lined up to be slaughtered. He goes on to say, nay, in all of these things, in all of these situations, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But then look at what he does. In verse 38, he gives the key. He gives the answer. For I am persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, than any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul saying? He's saying the only thing that could ever keep you from the love of God is your own will. Because if you are persuaded, nothing will separate you. Tribulation will come. It doesn't matter because I am persuaded. Famine may come. It doesn't matter because I am persuaded. The wars may come into my life. It doesn't matter because I am persuaded that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Amen. Satan has no more power over you. Your will is more powerful than him. If Legion's will was more powerful than 2,000 devils, amen, you have the own power inside of you to live for him, to make up in your mind that I'm going to serve him and do what I need in his kingdom. Hey, man, please stand with me as I come to a close. You know, we, we quote the scripture, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And we quote that a lot, and I'm thankful for it. It's a true, true promise of the word of God, but sometimes we aren't persuaded. Because it's really not about asking one time. But really what the scripture is telling us to do is you ask until you receive. You seek him doesn't matter how long it takes, but you seek him until you find him. And you knock, and it doesn't matter if your knuckles get all bloody, and if you get tired, it doesn't matter. You knock until he opens that door for you. This is when you're persuaded that I'm not going to allow anything to distract me. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to find him. I'm going to ask until I receive. I'm going to knock until he finally opens that door for you. And I promise you, if you diligently seek after him, he will reward you. He will reward you. He won't reward those who don't seek him. He won't reward those who give up. But he rewards those that diligently, that don't stop, that make up in their mind no matter what, 
I'm going to serve him. There was a lady in my home church. I'm, I'm from Oklahoma City. My father's a pastor there. And uh, there was a lady, um, her first name was Pam, I think, I believe she's passed now, uh, but she came out of a terrible, terrible situation, uh, abuse that I can't even describe in a public say, setting of what all she went through, every type of abuse you could imagine, she went through. And uh, the, her neighbor across the street happened to be a minister out of my father's church, and, and uh, he, he helped her, and him and his wife helped her, and they brought her to church, and she began a journey living for God. She repented. She was baptized in Jesus' name. But she really struggled receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's just something about it. She just never could break through that, that wall. She was always the first person to the altar. She was always the last person to leave. But yet, she could not, just seemed like, could not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There was one day we had, uh, there was, at this time, there was actually several like, I don't know, I think my dad called them like career seekers. They needed the Holy Ghost for like, you know, a very, very long time. And yet they were just hitting a wall and not receiving the Holy Ghost. And so he called for a church prayer meeting on Friday night. And it was only for those who needed to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to pray for your grandmother to be healed. We're not going to pray for his school. We're not going to pray for anything else. All we are going to do is if you need the Holy Ghost, you're here. And that is all we're praying for. It, it started at 7 or 7.30. I don't remember. I was, I was just a, a young young boy. I don't even know if I was a teenager at the time. Uh, probably like fifth grade or something like that. Um, and so we came, and it was either 7 or 7.30, and Pam began to pray. She stood right in front of the pulpit, and she began to pray. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she got tired. And so someone brought a chair to her, and she sat down. And she lifted up her hands and people were helping her hold her hands up. And, and she prayed and prayed and prayed and she got enough strength up. She stood up again and began to pray again. And this went on and on until after one o'clock in the morning. And finally, as she was worshiping and seeking after God, she got her breakthrough, breakthrough that night or that morning. And God filled her with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe God would have filled her anyways. But what happened that night is when Pam came into that service, she said, God, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek after you until you fill me. And if it takes all night, I'm not leaving this church. I'm not going to stop praying. If it takes me 24 hours, it doesn't matter. I am not leaving God until you fill me with the Holy Ghost. And it was at least six hours, five, five, six hours, she was praying in that altar. And of course, I... I, pastor's kid, I had to be there. <laughs> so I, my, my brother and I were there when Pam received the gift of the Holy Ghost after one o'clock in the morning because she made up in her mind. Her will was set. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until I receive what I need from God. Amen. So you might be here today and you might say, well, I've got problems, but I, I need to figure out life before I really surrender myself to God. Or, you know, we, we all deal with insecurities. So there's probably someone here who says, well, I'm shy. I don't want to come and pray because then people will think that my life is a mess. I don't want people to, I have pride. That's what it is, really. It's not being shy, it's pride. Amen. I was your pastor there for about 10 seconds. <laughs> the truth is, if, you're, if that is your attitude, you will go to the grave with the same problems the same heartache, the same trouble in your life. But if you say, really, it doesn't matter what happens. 
if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made whole. I might have to push some people out of the way. I may have to, to, to crawl on my hands and my knees, but God, you're the only thing that matters today. My will is to get what I need from God. If that is your attitude, you will receive what you need from him. It is a promise that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. So as we come to the end of this sermon service, I'm going to open up these altars. Amen. Is there anybody here who needs something from God? Amen. I promise you, you can receive it today. I promise you can get what you need from God today. He is the answer. He is the very answer for any problem that you face in life. And so whatever you need, I ask you to come to this altar and you give it to Him. You cast your cares on Him. He cares for you and He is here and He's willing and He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or we can even think. Amen. It's mind over matter. I really can't explain it. How could God Almighty love me? How could God Almighty meet my need? I'm just a sinner. I have come short of your glory. I really can't understand how I could overcome the obstacles of my life. But God, if I give it to you, if I give it to you, if I make up in my mind, I've got to serve you. You can receive it here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.